This is RJ Carbone, and you're listening to BD4. Anthony for three. Bang! That one goes this down. one by Mattingly. Oh, hang on to the RJ Barrett does it again from downtown. He is just tearing the Orioles apart. It's good. It's good. Randall gets the bounce, and he ties the game. Houston ducks under. Got it. Creates and shows some dexterity as well with the left hand. Yankees win! Yankees win! All right. What's happening, everybody? Welcome to the show. I am your host, RJ Carbone, and you are listening to episode 357 of BD4. Welcome, everybody. Hope you're all having a good night. As I speak, it is Friday, April 15th. As you are listening, it should be Saturday the 16th. Let me just double check. It is the 15th, right? I'm just double checking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So welcome to the show. Sorry. Welcome to the show. Um, If you're new here, be sure to subscribe. To the podcast, BD4 is on many platforms. We are on Apple Podcasts to listen to. You can also, um, you know, if you subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and download the episodes there, don't forget to leave a five-star rating and a review if you enjoy the show. We are currently a five-star podcast and would like to keep it that way. You can also find us on Spotify for... Um, Watch and listen. You can find us on YouTube to watch us. You can listen to us on SoundCloud, Anchor, Google Podcasts. Um, many other listening platforms are available. Uh, BD4 is available on. Um, and if you want to follow me on social media, you can also do that. I'm on Facebook at RJ Carbone. Just type in r.j.carbone. And I'm also on Instagram at Rob J. Carbone. Um, so thank you for tuning into the show. I appreciate it. And lastly, before we get to the actual episode, just want to remind you that if you like to read, you can follow my blog and subscribe to it. I'm about to sneeze. Um... I write for ultimatesportsnetworks.com. So if you go there and you put into the search bar either my name or the title of my blog, the Bomber Bocker blog, you'll find mine. Um, And when you do subscribe to the Bomber Bocker blog, be sure, don't forget, to do it using promo code 6A2841 ERJC. Once again, be sure to subscribe to the Bomberbacher blog on ultimatesportsnetworks.com using promo code 6A2841ERJC. This way, guys, you get a discount, $7.99 a month, 10% off everything. Um, Discount on merch, you get full access to every single article if you subscribe to the Bomberbacher blog. I write daily, not daily, but I write um, semi-regularly. It's been a second 
since I wrote. Um, but I'm going to get back at it. Don't worry. We'll be active this season for the Yankees. And we also write about the Knicks. But in this episode, as you can see, we're going to be talking about the Yankees. I'm sorry. <laughs> we're going to be talking about the Knicks. Because the New York Knicks, um, well, their season's over. And with their season being over, it is time to hand out our report cards to each and every player. Um, and, you know, talk about the um, the team as a whole. Great, you know, grade the Knicks as a whole. Evaluate Thibodeau, the front office, as well as the roster. So we're going to get into all of that in this episode. It should be a long one. It might be an hour. And if we start lagging, because I think it's because I've got a Surface Pro and not an actual laptop. So if I use too much of the CPU, it starts getting choppy. If we start doing that, um, now this only this only uh, matters to if you watch the podcast. Then I'm going to have to split this episode into two different days and come back when the you know, tablet is cooled off. So if you notice that I'm wearing different clothes at one part of the episode than I am in another, it's because I probably took time between the episode to, uh, you know, cool the engine off. I guess that's what it is. I don't know. Because it's not, I guess, you know, tablets aren't really used for, you know, high usage like a podcast. Um, I guess I, th- I should have thought about that. I should have thought about that when I made the purchase. But I do love this. Sur- the Surface Pro is amazing. I love it. Outside of that, it's an excellent um very convenient, um, I don't know, accessory to have. So let's get into it. Let's head to our first break. When we get back, we'll jump right into the show and start this whole thing up. All right. Let's head to our first break. We'll be right back. to the show welcome back to bd4 where you are listening to episode 357 of the podcast welcome to bd4 where there's no better way to get your yankees and knicks analysis we also do mma now too the yankees every series the knicks every game mma on the weekends so let's jump right into it man i don't want to waste time 
um, any further. Uh, real quick, though, uh, first off, thank you for joining us. I appreciate it if you are tuning in, whether that be uh, listening to the podcast on any of the platforms or maybe watching the video format of this podcast available on Spotify and YouTube. Also, be sure to follow me on social media, Facebook, RJ Carbone, Instagram, at Rob J. Carbone. So, with that out of the way, just a quick reminder for those of you who are new here and don't know how this works. Um, usually, what we do is give out progress reports every month during the season. We did that, and at the end of the year, we give out our final grade, final report cards to each and every Nick, the Knicks that played a decent amount of games at least. And um, then we give the team a grade as a whole, and that's that. And the way I grade these players, my grading system, I guess you could call it, is um, it's based off each player's individual role and expectation, right? So one player might have a higher grade than another, but it doesn't necessarily mean that player played better than that other player because they're reaching their own expectation, their own role. So I'm grading, you know, Randall this grade because he played his role that well or that poorly. And same thing with everybody else. So just want to get that out of the way before I start, you know. So I'm not scrutinized that heavily um, by anybody who does even see this episode. All right, so just a heads up again. These grades are based solely on these players' expectations in their own role. Alright, so it's not everybody's being graded on the same scale. So keep that in mind, please. So I guess the way we're going to do it, um, I guess it makes sense to just go like, excuse me, just go from like the starting lineup and down, you know, all the way down to the bench. We'll start with the starting point guard of the team this season, um, you know, Alec Burks, and then we'll, we'll make our way down the list, you know, in that order. All right, so let's get to it. Let's get to Alec Burks. Um, so here you can see on the screen, if you are watching the show, Alec Burks I have here, um, he played 81 games this season, 12 points per game, five rebounds, three assists, uh, one steal, 0.3 blocks, 1.1 turnovers, 39% field goal percentage, 40% three-point percentage, 82% free throw percentage. The grade I gave Alec Burks on the year is a C+. Um, you know, there's not much to say about Alec Burks. He played 29 minutes per game. Um, this is a veteran journeyman who was given, in my opinion... And in many Knicks fans' opinion, given way too big of a role, he's supposed to be a bench wing, an off-the-ball bench wing scorer. Instead, the way Thibodeau used him was as a starting point guard. And there was no reason he should have spent 29 minutes per game playing starting point guard for the Knicks. And it's it, it felt like his minutes role increased as the end of the season came. I saw multiple times where he was given 35 plus minutes for no reason at all, even when we were officially eliminated from the play-in. 
some of the positives, because I don't want to make this, you know, seem like I hate Alec Burks. It's more about the way he was used. Um, he did, you know, hit some big shots for us again in the fourth quarter. Um, I don't think he was Mr. Fourth Quarter like he was last year, but he did hit some big shots. Um, played some okay defense, right? He was there, you know, he's a switchable defender at that position, obviously being a more of a two-guard slash small forward playing point guard. He had the size to defend. Um, and then some of the downsides, again, he's not a playmaker, so he's not going to thrive as some point guard. Um, he's a bit inefficient. You know, a lot of his shots come out of the rhythm of the offense where he's creating his own and trying to penetrate and draw whistles. Bit inconsistent, whatever. He, he was okay this year. Nothing great, nothing terrible. I think at the end of the day, I would say his overall impact was slightly above average. You know, he was okay. So Alec Burks, to me, he played at a C-plus level. Again, this is based on his own role. Um, as we go on down the list here, we'll go to our shooting guard, our starting shooting guard up next. So Evan Fournier, I have here, he played 80 games this season for the Knicks, uh, 14 points, three rebounds, two assists, one steal, 0.3 blocks, 1.3 turnovers. He shot 42% from the field, 39% from three, and 71% from the free throw stripe. I also gave Fournier a C plus. Um, he was a three-point gunner, right? I'll give him credit there. He was an excellent three-point shooter. He broke the Nick franchise record with, uh, I think, Starks was 217. Fournier ended up, I want to say... 237, but don't quote me on that because I don't know if that's exact. But he seemed, you know, I hated him at the beginning of the season, not going to lie, but he did find a little bit of a rhythm as the season progressed. All right, um, so he's a good three-point shooter. That's about all he does offensively. He can score in the lane. You know, he likes to attack the middle of the lane on the ball sometimes, but he's very streaky. He's not consistent. Um, he's had some exceptional efforts, right? Pretty much every game against Boston, three games against them, he went off on them. Um, and he set some good ones outside that too. But he's also had some very forgettable outings. He had the uh, the bad stake game. <laughs> um, he had the zero-point game. He had uh, you know, the 8% shooting game against Portland. He had the game not too long ago in early March against Philadelphia where he scored three points. Um and then on top of the inconsistency, his, obviously, Evan Fournier's defense is beyond atrocious. Um, his point of attack defense is poor. He gets blown by every single time in man-to-man. Um, the team defense at times can look okay, but I mean, you know, he's late contesting on his closeouts. His, 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 his defensive assignments torch him every single game, it feels like. Um, his defense was so bad for the Knicks that he couldn't even play fourth quarter. So think about that. Imagine that. Your best shooter on the team, your best shooter in the year 2022, modern basketball, your best shooter can't play the fourth quarter because he's so poor defensively. That's got to be really bad defense, man. And so if you watch the games, you know what I'm talking about. Um, I like Fournier. I wouldn't, like, I, I would prefer we try to move him, try to move that contract. 
But if you can't, I, I don't mind him on the team. I would just prefer him coming off the bench in more of an off-the-ball movement shooter role where he's coming off L cuts and curls and screens like that. You know, use him as a super sub, nothing more. Um, you know, some will tell you he technically performed up to his career averages. Kind of a tricky statement because he also shot the worst percentages of his career, 41%, 39%, 71%. I think it was a little higher than that. I think it was 42 percent 70 yeah we just read a couple of seconds ago but there were the worst they were by far the worst percentages of his career um and you know also we were expecting to get the guy the fournier from the last couple of seasons was what we were kind of expected he scored 17 points a game last year um 19 the year before uh 15 year uh points per game three years ago uh, 18 points per game four years ago, 17 points per game five years ago. So in the last five years, he's been about 17, 18, 19 points per game most of the time. That's kind of who we were expecting. We ended up getting a guy who scores a little below all that, uh, a few ticks below all of that. So all that being said, you know, the inconsistencies, the poor defense, the career lows in certain areas, he's still started in every single game he played in and he ended up playing in 80 of the 82 games this is a 10-year veteran now he spent 10 years in the league and just one other season he started as many games as he did with the Knicks also only two other seasons where he logged more total minutes than he did under Tibbs and it's the most typical thing in the world it's like why the high usage the Magic were a terrible tanking team, so of course Fournier is going to get that usage and put up those numbers. But the Knicks have some young talent that should have been getting more priority. And Tibbs treats you know Fournier like we're in a similar situation than you know like like with the, when he was with the Magic. So all in all, I, again Fournier, I got to give him a C plus. I don't think he was that good, but I do think he got better. But in the end not my style. Um, Fournier gets a C plus. He was okay. Let's get to small forward when we get back from break. Stay with us. Be right back. Hey guys. So I've noticed that only a small portion of you who watch BD4 on YouTube are actually subscribed. So if you do enjoy this podcast and maybe you want to be notified when new episodes release, I'd consider subscribing and also hitting that notification bell. This way, we can help the channel grow, and you won't miss a single episode of BD4. Alright, let's get back to it. Alright, welcome back to the show. You are listening to episode 357 of BD4. So, RJ Barrett, my guy, right? Um, this season, R.J. Barrett, as you can see on the screen, if you are watching, in 70 games, had a pretty good year, man. He averaged 20 points per game, 6 rebounds, 3 assists, 0. 0.6 steals, 0. 0.2 blocks, and 2.2 turnovers a game. And he shoots shoots 41% from the field, 34% from 3 and 71% at the line. So, 
with that, I gave R.J. Barrett a B plus, which I think that's fair. Um, if you're expecting me to give anybody on this team an A, uh, you're expecting incorrectly. Um, because uh, I didn't. This is the highest grade on the Knicks. I gave him a B plus. I thought he was great. Um, you know, he made much better reads this season as he got more uh, on-ball reps. He just seemed to do a better job reading the defense, making those rim reads before he attacked, making better decisions on the fly. You know, there was a bit, there was a playmaking uptick with R.J. Barrett as he got more on-ball reps. You saw it. I think he could eventually be a guy who can average four to five assists. Not crazy to say. Um, you know, we saw more of a, of a variety of passing. You know, where he used to just do the weak side skip pass. But this year we saw a ton of pick and roll out of that pistol formation with Mitchell Robinson and he. That was kind of our RJ's go-to. Um, so he showed a bit of a tighter handle, a bit of a more patient approach as a passer. He also played very well whenever he was staggered and you know played away from Randall and with the bench. When Tibbs did that, RJ got the bench to thrive. It was no surprise that the Knicks did a lot better uh, when Randall deferred to RJ or when Randall sat completely and RJ had total control. It's not a shocker where, that the Knicks played better basketball. RJ was super aggressive this year in transition. Grabbing those rebounds and pushing the pace, making a true effort to do so. Push that tempo and gets the Knicks out running. And he, a lot of the times, went coast to coast and finished left strong. Very strong left hand. Automatic at times. Got a great touch when he's going left. Um, he was getting to the free throw line a ton. And it was an excellent finish to a season where, I don't know if you can remember, but it was a pretty slow start for RJ. Um, in his first 27 games this year, RJ was averaging 15 points, 5 boards, 2 dimes, with 3 free throw attempts a game. In his last 43 games to wrap up his season, he averaged 23 points, 6 rebounds, and 4 assists, with 7 free throw attempts a game. So he got to the line a ton more, scored a lot more with the higher usage. Again, with Randall's diminished role at the end of the season, RJ took the leadership role, initiated the offense, directing traffic, even like off the court things, you know, speaking to his players and being that leader in the huddle and handling the media very well, always holding himself accountability, always being there every single game to talk about what he did wrong. So I really appreciated that. Um, and we, we don't talk about RJ's rebounding enough. I think RJ's a pretty good rebounder for a 6'6 wing. Grabbed about six rebounds a game this year. I don't think he's averaged below five yet in his career. So if he can hover around six, it'd be nice to see it go up to seven, but that's not a bad number. Um, now, some of the things RJ does need to work on, obviously defense still needs work. He didn't take the step forward like I thought he would. Um, you know, losing Reggie Bullock, Alfred Payton, Frank Nilakina. Those are important wing defenders that we did not have. <clears throat> um, so you were expecting RJ to take that role in the starting lineup. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> you know, his help defense leaves some room for improvement. 
Sometimes he'll get caught ball watching on weak side. Um, he's an okay man-to-man defender, but that's about it. I think he needs some improvement defensively. Um, the effort's always there. <clears throat> uh, offensively, obviously his efficiency, right? He's a bit of a volume scorer right now. Eventually, he's got to become more efficient. The right-hand finishing, uh, even finishing overall, you know, over taller defenders. Uh, I mentioned his great touch with the left hand. At times, it looks like he's got no touch. It really does. He can be very streaky as a finisher. Uh, and the jump shooting, right? The three-point shot is pretty mediocre. Um, it's nothing great, nothing terrible. I don't think that's going to really go anywhere. I think it'll be around 34 35 36% throughout his career. I think last season was an outlier when he shot over 40%. Uh, the mid-range was pretty poor. Unfortunately, he shot it at a lower volume than he did any other attempt. <clears throat> but I would like to see him try and initiate or try and uh, I don't know the word. Try and uh, I lost the word. Incorporate that shot into his game more. I feel like that could become a bread and butter. Get the defense to respect him. Start shooting that mid range a little more, and open up a lot of you know a lot of the floor. <clears throat> Excuse me. But overall, again, I think R.J. Barrett had a good season for the Knicks. He was very fun to watch, very exciting, and I give him a B+. Um, so we're going to move on to our starting power forward now. Let me take a water before we do that. Really should be taking 10 shots before I get to this one. I'm going to try to make this one quick. I don't want to spend time talking about him because I've spent the entire season here on BD4 talking about this dude, and I'm kind of sick of it, and I'm kind of hoping that pretty soon we won't have to be talking about him anymore if the front office does what they need to do in the offseason. But uh, let's get to this gentleman because he is on the team as we speak, and uh, we do have to talk about it a little bit. Julius Randle, um, here he is, Julius, uh, yeah, he, in 72 games this season, Julius averaged 20 points, 10 rebounds, 5 assists, 0.7 steals, 0.5 blocks, and 3.4 turnovers, he shot the ball 41% from the field, 31% from three, And 76% at the free throw line. Again, guys, just so I don't get killed here, we're basing these grades off of that player's individual role on the team, what they are expected to do. So with that said, as you can see, if you are watching the show, I gave Julius Randle a D. I think when you look at last season, which is why he got the contract... And then you look at this season. He declined in literally every statistical category. Um, You don't even have to look at the stats. Just watch the games. The defense and the inefficiency on offense were his two biggest on-the-court personality aside issues. You know, offensively, the three-point shot did not fall. It was 10% worse. Maybe more. I think it was 11% worse. I don't know. It was bad. The mid-range, same thing. It did not fall. That was his bread and butter last year. Not this season. He settled a lot. 
for that mid-range long two-point jumper instead of attacking the rim. Sometimes he wasn't even aggressive where he would pass up open shots because his confidence looked so low. He was obviously, he had some stuff mentally going on. This is a sensitive dude. He's an emotional dude. Um, but he did not shoot the ball well. This is We're talking about a power forward. A power forward who shoots 41%. That's not good. That's not the way to go. This is a big dude. A 6'8", 6'9", 250-something pound bulldozer. Shouldn't be shooting 41%. Something's wrong there. Then you go to defense. He was pretty average. I would even call him slightly above average uh, of an on-ball low-post defender last season. This year, he was far below average defensively. He was terrible defensively. The effort was non-existent at times. A lot of times. In transition, after getting blocked, doesn't even bother running back. He'll bitch to an official. You know, after standing around an entire possession without the ball, he doesn't go back on defense and lollygags because he's mad he didn't get his touches. His help defense lacked tremendously. Go back to his offensive game. He was terrible in the clutch, forcing isolation possessions, pounding the air out of the ball. Mostly in the first half, this was a real issue. But you know, just super long decision-making when he touched the ball in the half court. Just stop the ball movement. The slow po- the slow pace, 90s style of play in the half court. When everybody else seemed to fit that running gun style. The turnovers and the super high usage. You know, just watching him play patty cake all the time with Fournier. He was great two years ago with Reggie, uh, Reggie Miller. With Reggie Bullock in that one-two handoff game. Not the same with Fournier. They've had their run-ins too. Um... Then you have the antics. We didn't even talk about the antics. Getting sensitive and emotional with the fans, with the media, officials, teammates, coaches on his own team, opposing players, getting ejected, the thumbs down thing, skipping press conferences, getting fined, um, you know, and then posting a social media apology, half-assed social media apology after that, which was probably written by his team. Walking off the court after a big win because he didn't get his. Sitting alone on the bench, not joining the team huddle. The abysmal body language. I could go on and on and on and on and talk about that. You know I can. It was just a bad season to forget. Um, well, maybe I need to remember it in the offseason. Uh, and then you can forget about it once he's gone. Uh, now, some of the stats may have looked good, right? 2010-5 is no joke. He's one of a very few um, one of very few players who can do that but you also have to take into account a lot of that is you know where he played like last year's version of Randall for small stretches to kind of pad that you ever heard of empty stats players Cantor was one of those guys uh, a lot of people thought Mello was one of those guys with the Knicks I'm trying to think of a non-Nick uh, Westbrook is a perfect example his entire career He's had a lot of empty stats seasons. It's no surprise. It's no surprise, like I said earlier, that whenever Randall was off the floor, there was a clear positive energy. Guys enjoyed playing. Guys had fun. We played better lots of the time, too. It wasn't just talk. I'm not just talking crap. Like, 
the Knicks, you know, for the hell of it, they were five and five without Julius this year, thirty-two and forty with him. And I'm not going to use that, but I'm just throwing that out there. And a few of those losses came mid-season, where during that COVID hit, there were a bunch of just new guys thrown out there. They didn't really have any on-court chemistry and basically just playing street ball, not used to the system yet. Um, you know, so he has talent. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that Julius is not talented. He's an incredibly talented player. But he's not in the right role. And the problem is it would be simple if you could just say, all right, Julius, well, take a step back, play a lesser role. You know, we're going to diminish your role a little bit. That would be great. But the problem is he's not in the right role, but his ego, and it doesn't help that Tibbs is feeding him this ego, you know, his ego makes, he, he thinks he is in the right role. He thinks he's the guy. Tibbs thinks he's the guy. Tibbs called him part of the young core the other day. That's the problem. And that's why I just don't think it'll work. So even, you know, with the antics aside, which bothered me enough, the fact that he's not in a right role, but nobody on, you know, nobody of importance thinks that that's a problem. That's a problem. <laughs> Did I just make sense there? Randall not being in the right role and Thibodeau not realizing that is a problem. There we go. And so that's why he gets a D. All right? When you miss 60% of your shots and you don't play good defense, you're going to get a bad grade. Numbers do not mean anything. That's some middle school fantasy league shit. Tired of that. Any Knicks fan who watches this team, 48-82, knows what I'm talking about. Let's move on to our starting center because uh, there's some optimism here, right? <laughs> I thought I thought he played well this year. Um, yeah, we're going to talk about Mitchell Robinson when we get back from break. Stay with us. Be right back. So if you guys want to follow me on social media, be sure to do so right now. I'm on Facebook at RJ Carbone. And I'm also on Instagram at Rob J Carbone. Once again, if you want to find me on Facebook, that is RJ Carbone. Instagram at Rob J Carbone. So BD4 is on so many platforms to listen to. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud. You can listen to us on Spotify. You can find us on our sponsor, Anchor, and many other listening platforms as well, wherever you get your podcasts. But we are also available to watch on YouTube. So if you want to watch us on YouTube, go subscribe there. But if you prefer to listen to us, again, many, many, many listening platforms. Just be sure to subscribe, download, give us a rating, a review, comment, share the podcast, and all that fun stuff. This is BD4, where there's no better way to get your Yankees and Knicks analysis.
All right, welcome back to the show. You're listening to episode 357 of BD4. I'm your host, RJ Carbone. Let's talk about Mitch. Let's talk about him. If I can find him here on the screen. All right. Mitchell Robinson, this season, in 72 games, averaged 9 points, 9 rebounds, 1 assist, 0.8 steals, 1.8 blocks, 0.8 turnovers, shooting 76% from the field, 49% from the free throw line. Um, Overall, though, I gave Mitch a B. Gave him a solid B on the year. Um, Yeah, I mean, listen, rim protection, first and foremost, right? The blocks, the shot altering, just making, you know, just changing the decision-making of penetrating guards, just because of his presence alone down there. Forcing bad shots or turnovers or poor passes and things like that. Um, and his defense, his, his pick and roll drop defense is improving each season. I'm noticing that. I like the way he defends the drop. He's got the length and athleticism to play it. And kind of do the two-in-one thing. Um, his switching has been solid. He gets his fair share of blocks on the perimeter. We know that. Um, his rebounding. You know, he's an offensive rebounding machine. He's one of the better offensive rebounding bigs in the NBA. Um, he gets him. He's not one of those guys who just gets rebounds because of his size. He is long, but he's very skinny. And a lot of his rebounds come, if you watch these games, you'll notice, because of his tremendous heart and hustle. He is always active on the glass, jumping in traffic, fighting through contact, going after boards, and working for it instead of letting the rebounds come to him. He is an attacker on the offensive glass. He's a menace at times. Um, and, you know, that has a lot to do with the inside scoring. A lot of, uh, what do you call it, tip-ins, a lot of putbacks. Um, he's a great, very efficient pick-and-roll roller. Creates a ton of gravity as a role man. The athleticism, the dunks, you know, can get to spots where most bigs can't. So, the way I'm thinking about it is if he scored nine points per game this year without a true point guard on the floor all season, and most of his career, let's be honest, has been spent without a point guard, if he could score nine points as a young player without a point guard, is it crazy to see that, like, if the Knicks can figure out this point guard shit, Mitch can score you 12 to 10 points? I don't think that's too crazy. So I think there's a lot. I still have hope in him. Again, I'm willing to pay him. All right? I just don't want to go too high. Because there are some problems, right? He's got no offensive package outside of rim runs and tip-ins and putbacks. Um, he's got the injury and durability concerns. The dude is built to get injured. It, it's scary. Um, every time he falls, he's he's inconsistent still. He'll have his really good stretches, but he'll still have some games where he plays against the bigger sized bigs, where he struggles to find consistency throughout a game. Uh, so we're gonna have to see what happens. You know, this whole contract thing could depend a lot. Um, But Mitch, overall in the year, I give him a solid B. I think it was solid. You know, I don't think it was tremendous, but I definitely don't think it was bad at all. 
I like what Mitch did. I gave him a solid B. So let's go to the bench. Let's go right to the bench. No need to waste time. What was that? Something just fell. Scared the shit out of me. <laughs> Manual quickly. Um, this season for quick. In how many games did he play? 78 games. Averaged 11 points, 3 boards, 4 dimes. 0.7 steals, 1.3 turnovers, 39% from the field, 35% from 3, 88% at the free throw stripe. Quickly, I gave him a B. I think he too had a good season. Um, Obviously, he comes in. The shooting right away, if he's on, provides a ton of energy, especially at home, man. Very good at using screens when he's on the ball. Um, He's always got the spot-up shot ready to go when needed. His finishing is very efficient. He's over 60% at the rim. He's got the floater game, which looked a little more composed this season. Uh, He added in the layup package, right? Didn't do a ton of layups last year. This year he added a bit more. Um, I even like his defense when he's at point guard. I think he's a capable perimeter defender when he's at the one. And, you know, you look at him. He finished the season on such a great run. And a lot of that run was where he was at point guard. Right? He displayed potential as a point guard at the end of the season, I believe. Showing a ton of playmaking patience. Quarterbacking the offense. uh, Strong pick and roll ability. With Mitch, with Obi, with Sims. Throwing lobs. Hitting up cutters. Perimeter shooters. Driving kicks to Fournier in the corner. Burks in the corner in the clutch. He hits him up a few times in, the, in a few games. Um, I thought he did good. And he keeps the turnovers under control. This is a guy who gets on ball reps, but he doesn't. He has good ball control. He doesn't cough it up a ton. One to two times at most on average again. Sometimes zero. Very good at being efficient as a playmaker. And he plays very well with a lot of guys. Plays well with RJ. He plays exceptionally well with Obi Toppin. They're both out there on the court. This team's playing full court basketball. I also think IQ, especially towards the end of the year, um, he got to the line more. He started rebounding a lot more and doing a lot of different aspects of the game that we're not usually doing outside of scoring. You know, in the last 22 games of the season, to follow up, you know, remember he was on that egregious shooting stretch goes on a 22 game stretch to conclude the year averaging 16 points almost 6 rebounds 5 steals I'm sorry 5 assists 1 steal and 1.3 turnovers he shot 44% during the span 39% from 3 85% on free throws and that was on 5 attempts at the line per game so I thought he was pretty good, man. I did. Um, now, you know, he still had some flaws. He's undersized. So that does hurt him defensively when he slides up to the two. 
that's obviously you know one of the reasons that puts a ton of question on his true position. You know, it's how good of a playmaker is he, and it's can he defend the bigger two wings. Um, and, you know, offensively, it's the inefficiency, the streakiness. That's still a problem. A lot of that is shot selection. He's got to learn to tame himself at times and take better shots within the rhythm of the offense and stop taking heat checks when he's not hot. Um, but I do think uh, this is a year or two player. Yeah, I think he can get you know, 42% in that area, which, you know, for a small guard, that's not a bad percentage. Um, but I liked what I saw from quickly. So I give him, excuse me, I give him a B. Um, another guy who excelled as the season, um, concluded. Obi Toppin. I tell you, man, I was very, 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 even when the, the Knicks were out of the playoffs at the end there, and I was so excited to watch their games because of this dude. Uh, this season, Obi Toppin, across 72 games, gave you nine points, four rebounds, one assist, and he did this in 17 minutes. <laughs> okay, keep that in mind. 0.3 steals, 0.5 blocks, 0.8 turnovers. He shot 53% from the field, 31% from three, and 76% at the stripe. I gave Obi Toppin a B plus. Again, not saying Obi Toppin and RJ Barrett are the same player because they're graded on different skills. So he's not just as good as RJ, but he played his role just as good as RJ played to his expectation. So I gave Obi a B plus. I loved watching him. The energy and athleticism, right? Dunking in the open court all the time. Getting the Knicks out running often whenever he would be on the floor. The garden roared whenever this guy threw something down. Every time he took the court, it felt like the Knicks played a winning brand of basketball. They didn't always win, but when he was on the floor, they played a much smoother, much more fundamental, much more modern style of basketball. Team basketball, an enjoyable brand of basketball. A lot of that has to do with his quick decision making in the half court. When he gets the ball in the half court, he either swings it or he darts right to the rim when he's got the ball. He's shown a tighter handle too. He's got a good dribble handoff game. A lot of this comes quickly when he gets the ball. He makes a decision. He doesn't wait around and waste 7, 8, 9, 10 sometimes more seconds of the shot clock like you know who can. And when he's not having the ball, he makes impact, which is also something that you know who didn't do often. When Obi didn't have the ball, he was constantly screening, cutting, creating spacing. Because he was moving, he was sprinting, active. And his spot-up three-point shooting improved as the season winded down. Remember at the start of the year, it was so bad that I had I cringed watching him shoot a ball. Air balls, bricks that barely graze the rim, which are, are worse than air balls in my in my book. He was hesitant to take open corner threes, but as the season wore down, you look at his last twenty three games, he shot thirty eight percent from three. His last sixteen games, he shot forty three percent from three. 
And if that can become a thing, I'm not saying he has to shoot 40-something percent, but if he can, you know, step outside the line two to three times a night, hit one or two, shoot about league average 35-36%, that's a big difference, you know? Just being a capable shooter when he needs to be. Big difference in the spacing. You know, get the defense and draw them out of the paint so they have to respect his perimeter shot more. That clears up room for RJ to operate. I liked it. The last 14 games of the year, Obi really thrived. 17 points, 5 boards, 2 assists. Those can be numbers. uh, Hopefully the rebounding gets up there, but he scored in double figures in, in 10 of his last 11. I think he can become a guy like this more often if you play him. When he gets minutes, he showed he can produce. And when he got more and more minutes, he produced even more. He finishes the season going for a career high in points and three-pointers made a few times. Rebounds even a few weeks ago. He was such a phenomenal force, a phenomenal watch. You know, to see Obi thrive at power forward. It was awesome. The eye test, the numbers, and the wins. All three of them came when he played towards the end. It was awesome. So in my opinion, this has to be your starting power forward next year. Has to. That's just my take. He plays winning ball. Uh, The offense is just so much more modern, so much more efficient. That's my thing. It's so much more efficient. I want a power forward. I want my power forward shooting 55% to 60% like Obi can and not 40 to 45%. That's a huge difference in, in the offense making the shots they take. Now he's got some things to work on. He's got to work on the defense. His effort's there, but he's got to move a little better. His stance, his positioning. He's got to work on a post-up game. You know, maybe work on creating his own shot and scoring without the help of a point guard. Work on the jumper a little more in the summer. Work on your rebounding. All right, so he's got some things to work on, but I really, really, really enjoyed Obi Toppin play. I think it's not just the end of the season. I'm putting a lot of emphasis on his last couple of months. But I really thought he started out the season exceptionally well. He went through some ups and downs, had a slump. And finished it very well. I'd say 75% of his season, Obi was very strong. So I give him a B plus. Let's go on to uh, Jericho Sims. We're gonna head to break. Now you know what? I don't want to. I don't want to risk that because it's late, and I don't want this uh, tablet to start chopping either. Let's go to Jericho. So Jericho Sims, one of my favorite players to watch too. This season in 41 games, obviously the stats aren't going to wow you. Two points, four boards, uh, an assist, uh, 0.5 blocks, 0.3 steals, 72% from the field, uh, 41 from the line. I gave him a B. This is a player you can't just read stats. You got to watch the way he plays. This kid shows incredible leap. I mean, the bounce in his step is real. I've seen him jump from places that you also won't see other centers jump. He has, he, uh, I think he had a 44-inch vertical in the NBA Combine, which was the second highest in NBA Combine history. Watch this dude play. 
he hustles, he jumps, he runs. He's great. He's always moving on both ends of the floor. He's disrupting help defenders on his way to the rim on a roll. He rebounds very well. Those tip-outs, he's got a lot of big rebounding games towards the end of the year. He reminds me of a young Tyson Chandler. Can defend the rim very well. You know, he improved with his defensive positioning, which was a problem when he first came in, into the league um, as the season winded down. And, you know, as he got more time, I think his defense overall has looked a lot better. He's a fantastic roller in pick and roll. He's had some performances um, at the end of the year where I really, excuse me, I really admired, like, outperforming Andre Drummond in that Brooklyn Nets game where he filled in for Mitch, and uh, he ended up getting his first career double-double, had better points and rebound numbers than than Drummond did. Uh, And I'm not looking at his offense yet. I think it's way too early for me to look at Jericho Sims' offense. I think if anybody's to look at a a center's offense in their first season, someone who's especially very raw like Sims, they're crazy. I think he's a credible backup big anyway. You don't need offense from that. Not yet. You know, I think he's, you know, give him a full off season to learn the offense, to learn Thibodeau's system. I think he'll be a little better. Um, maybe he has starter potential. I don't know. You know, I mean, we'll have to see what, you know, what, what happens with the whole Mitchell Robinson situation, what the Knicks plan to do. Um, but I don't think it's a coincidence that, you know, Sims finally started to get big minutes towards the end of the year. I don't think that's a coincidence. I think that's the front office cracking down and telling Thibodeau, hey, see what you have in this kid just in case Mitch walks, blah, blah, blah. So I give Sims, Jericho Sims, Knicks rookie, a B. Uh, we're starting to get choppy here again. <laughs> Let's move on. Who's next? We're almost done anyway. Let's go to Quentin Grimes. Quentin Grimes, um, 46 games this season. I liked what I saw. Uh, six points, two rebounds, one assist, 0.7 steals, 0.2 blocks, 0.6 turnovers. 40% from the field, 38% from three, and 68% on his free throws. I gave Grimes a B. I liked what I saw. Uh, the shot looks nice. He's got a quick, high release. A shooter's touch. He moves very well off the ball. He's always running. Catch and shoot specialist already. Again, 38% from the arc. Very solid percentage. He's got a good size. Very good size so where he can defend the 1-3 to three positions. Hounding defender. His ball pressure is tremendous, man. Uh, His man-to-man defense is very sharp. He's a switchable defender because of his size. I think he could become a real good 3 and D role player soon. Score you 10 points, shoot 40% from 3, give you great defense. He should be starting next year. If Cam Reddish doesn't get the start over Fournier, I I would love to see Grimes get it. But at the very least, he should be getting, you know, upper 20-something minutes a night. 30-plus. 
Uh, Deuce McBride. Let's move on to him. So I gave a B to Grimes. Deuce McBride. Um, I gave him a B minus. I think this season, 40 games played. Deuce averaged two points, a rebound, an assist, 0.4 steals, 0.1 turnovers. Didn't play much minutes. Uh, 30% from the field, 25 from three, 67 at the line. Most of his uh, B-plus comes from that defense. He's a very good, very strong point-of-attack point of defender. He makes such a difference when he's in there um, defending. I mean, he didn't really get the opportunity to flash any offense. Not only did he not play much, but when he did, he was off the ball. This is a point guard who played off the ball, not really initiated into any kind of offensive, uh, offensive sets by Thibodeau. Played a lot with Emmanuel quickly, who had those duties. So he's still a bit of a question mark. We we could have showcased. I wish we could have showcased him more a point guard, instead of being you know Burke's IQ post Kemba Walker. It could have been IQ Deuce. But <coughs> excuse me. And you know this this whole Kemba Walker thing to me it's so bizarre. Um. We're going to try to switch to audio only for these last few minutes just so we can get uh, through this episode without being too choppy. Trying to find the no cam screen here. Um, like I said, th- this camera thing is so weird. Uh, it's, it's, you got to believe he's done here. I mean, they sent him home. You know, he's not even with team trainers. He doesn't communicate with the team. He's, he, you know, he's not coming back. Uh, but we are going to need a point guard. That means, you know, uh, we'll have more episodes about the point guard thing. You know, I'm not the biggest Brunson fan. He doesn't wow me. He's pretty undersized. He's a defensive liability. I don't want to pay that guy $20 million a year in overpay. Uh, I also don't think we're going to be getting anybody in the draft. I mean, we're, we've got a 7% chance to get one of those spots for Jaden Ivey, who's projected to be gone by 3 or 4 um, but uh, let's wrap it up here. Taj Gibson, um, you know, Taj, screening, defense, hedging the pick and roll, diving for loose balls, battling on the glass, some occasional shooting, shot 40% from three this year, solid veteran leadership, you know, he was good. Taj played his role good. Um, it, it's, you know, it's just, it's like, what was the point at the end, though, right? Why, why play him so much at the end? But Taj, I gave him a solid B-. minus. I thought he was okay. Um, and that's it as far as the players go. Those are the grades. Let me just try to find the uh, no-cam slide here because we're getting choppy here. Um, fuck. I got to figure this out, why it does that. Um, how to fix it, rather. Overall, the Knicks, you know, if I'm grading the team as a whole, um, how they played overall, how Thibodeau did, how the front office did, all that as a whole, I gotta go C-. minus. I gotta go C-, and that might even be optimistic. That might be too nice they were 37 and 45 which was a 451 win percentage they were the 11th seed 
This is after a season where they had 41 wins. They were the fourth seed. Ten games over 500. Yeah, I don't know. It's not a great year. It's, it was very underwhelming. They were expected to to do a lot more than they actually did. Um, the one thing I can credit Tibbs for, even in a down season, he at least had their defense somewhat respectable. You know, but the issues this season were just way too loud to ignore. You know, his lineups not going youth earlier, not using his assistant coaches and kind of wanting to run his own show, which is why I think, you know, which is why I don't think this whole offensive coordinator thing in the offseason is really going to work if we do try and do that. His offense was just way too bland. It's just way too you know, extinct. Um, very Randall-centric. Again, half-court iso ball. Pinch post, you know, Randall. Uh, read and react offense and just when you don't have the guys for that scheme didn't hold Randall accountable let him do whatever he wanted stubbornness got the best of him you know what I've loved we would have loved a lot of Knicks fans were really asking for some create more creative lineup combinations the OB Randall small ball lineup worked when we got it it would have been nice to see it more it's very modern even plugging Obi in for Julius at times helps take the burden off him, save him some, you know, save those legs for the fourth quarter so he wasn't as gassed as he was. RJ and Randall, they were staggered more at the end of the year. Guess you got to give him credit there. Playing Burks at point guard was an issue. I mean, Emmanuel quickly averaged a little bit more assists per game than Burks in six less minutes. And if the reason for Burks at point guard, you know, obviously the reason that Tibbs kept saying was you know, positionless basketball, it's because of size and he's very switchable as a defender. Then why did you draft Deuce McBride? Because Deuce was a Thibodeau pick. <laughs> and as well as Deuce, he didn't play Cam and Sims either much, right? You don't need to see Taj Gibson playing at the end of these games where we're eliminated from the playoffs. It's like we're going away from R.J. Barrett in these third quarters whenever he's got a big first half. It's even more maddening that Berman said, Berman said this, that Tibbs regretted not going young earlier. He regretted it. I don't know if I should take that as a positive. Um, Even, you know, like, if he would have went younger earlier, it's so frustrating. Because if he would have done that, some of these questions that we have right now entering the offseason could have been answers right now. If only he listened to us earlier. <laughs> like, you know, questions like, who is Cam Reddish? What's his future? We could have been closer to an answer there. Had we played him when we acquired him in a trade, giving away the Charlotte pick. Um, a question about IQ, whether he's a point guard or not. Could have been closer to an answer there. Who is Deuce McBride? Could have been closer to an answer there. Can Sims be a credible replacement next season if Mitch decides to walk? Could have been closer to answers there. If we just evaluated our talent a little bit sooner. And he only went young at the end because of injuries, mainly. 
So, you know, next season, man, I'm telling you, if all of Derrick Rose, Alec Burks, Evan Fournier are here next season, we are going to have a problem. Because I'm not going to sit here again and keep my mouth shut like a good little boy while my head coach wastes minutes on a veteran with injury problems, a journeyman, and a 3 and no D player over his young talent. Guys that we spent years of losing to draft and trade for. Make it worth it. Because these guys are capable of playing winning basketball just as much, if not more, than those vets. The obsession with the veterans, with size, rim protection for 48 minutes, defense, 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 is killing us. I'm telling you, it's killing us. Because he must adopt Thibodeau. It is 2022. Next season, it's going to be the 2023 season. He's got to learn by now that small ball, it can work. It's a thing now. Running the break and playing with the high tempo, that's a thing now. Offense, transition opportunities, shooting, pace and space, that's a thing. And these guys also play defense, by the way. These guys hustle. They are very quick enough to keep up. It works. <laughs> so Thibodeau plays a big part in that C-. The front office plays a huge part. They go out and sign Randall. Four years, $117 million, right? Um, one second here. They also, this, all, this past offseason... Kemba Walker, two years, $18 million. Uh, Randall's got a player option for year four. Kemba, no option. Fournier, they signed him four years, $78 million. Team option year four. Taj, two years, $10 million, no option. Burks, three years, $30 million. Team option year three. Noel, three years, $28 million. Team option year three. And Rose was signed three years, $43 million. Team option for year three. They drafted Quentin Grimes in the first round with a 25th pick. They drafted Roku in the second round with a 34th pick. Deuce in the second round with a 36th pick. And Sims in the second round with a 58th pick. They traded for Cam Reddish. Gave away Knox and the Charlotte first rounder for him. So with all of that, you look back at it. Kemba was a bust. Low cost, so it didn't hurt you there. But you did miss out on Lonzo Ball, who I was dying for. Um, you also botched the entire Obi Randall thing. Randall had a terrible first season with the Knicks, so you go out and draft Obi Toppin. Then Randall goes off next season in the COVID year, so you don't play Obi, the guy you drafted. And then <laughs> now Randall returns back to his norm in his third year, and you're in a little bit of a weird conundrum there. So they have that to figure out. Uh, instead of DeMar DeRozan, who a lot of Knicks fans wanted, you acquire Evan Fournier instead. So you replaced the Peyton Bullock tandem with Kemba Fournier. You took the defensive identity away from the backcourt and turns it into turns it into offensive upside. And that didn't pan out. Um, I gave them credit for drafting adequately. right? I, I, I think they did a nice job there and trading very well, right? That's just on Tibbs for not playing Sims much, not playing Cam much, Grimes much, Sims, uh, Deuce at all, really. That's Thibodeau. That's not the front office. The front office did a nice job acquiring what could be decent talent. But at the end of the day, the Knicks, coming off a fourth seed, 
then had the most cap space in the entire NBA and somehow got four wins worse in a season with an additional 10 games. So not a very great use of the money there to construct a roster that wins four games less, expecting to build off a strong 2020 season. 2021. So you got players who didn't necessarily fit Thibodeau's style, and that's where I do sympathize with Tibbs a little. But that's it. That's all I got. The Knicks as a unit get a C-. minus, And everybody else, we just heard their grades. So hope you guys enjoy the show. We're going to wrap it up with our NYY, NYK, MMA question of the day. If we can get to it before this computer explodes because it's getting choppy. All right. So, our NYY, NYK, MMA question of the day to wrap this one up is, who made the first basket of the 2001, I'm sorry, say that again, who made the first basket of the 2021-2022 regular season for the Knicks So this year? Who made the first basket of the 2021-22 regular season for the Knicks? Let me know the answer. If you attempt to guess the answer but get it incorrect, well, I'll at least let you know what the answer is in the next episode. If you get it correct, I'll give you a shout-out on top of that. All right, thanks, guys, for tuning in. That's all I got. I'll talk to you next time. Ciao. This podcast is brought to you by Anchor. It's the best way to make a podcast. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm.